0: Good afternoon, almost afternoon, um, everyone. Uh, My name is JP. I serve as a pastor here at New Philly. Um, I'm just going to get right into today's message. Um, These days, in the past week, two weeks, I've been feeling really, um, I guess the best word to put it is tender. I've been feeling really tender-hearted and um, very just grateful. Um, The reason why is because I've been reflecting on Um, just where I personally uh, was a year ago. And many of you guys, our church knows uh, some of the things that I shared last year. Um, This time last year, um, just to put it in a small phrase, I was a mess. (laughs) This time last year, um, I had taken a break, if you will call it a, a mini sabbatical, I guess, Uh, I went to the States to just um, really just spend time with family, uh, spend time with, catch up with friends. Um, When I flew over to the States, little did I know what was awaiting. Uh, When I flew over, little did I know what God was going to um, guide me through. Um, Yeah, I went to go to simply rest. Um, But how many of us know that when we rest, and I'm talking about active rest, not uh, passive rest. Uh, When we rest, God begins to reveal things in your heart. And for me, a year ago, I did not know that anxiety attacks were awaiting for me in the States. I did not know that insomnia and symptoms of depression was waiting for me uh, last year. And just exactly a year ago, I was in the thick of it. In that time of rest and Sabbath, God would uncover uh, all the idols of my heart. Maybe not all, but a lot of the idols of my heart. Um, Before that, I was way too busy, if I were to be honest, I was way too busy to notice and be aware of the, the dependencies in my heart. Way too busy to notice the things that actually form my identity and the things that I held on to for my crutches um, rather than simply the acceptance and love of Christ the way that God saw me. Um, so last a couple of days ago I was looking through some Instagram stories from a year ago and uh, there was a time when I was spending time with my mom and my sister and we were next to a fireplace and I was just in deep reflection because during that time my mind was going a million miles an hour. And I wrote this um, post IG story that I'll just read and I was just really reminded of. And I'm kind of going to talk about it in today's sermon. I wrote this post and it said, God answers search my heart questions best when we are at rest. And then I wrote, It is when we rest where we see how far our hearts have wandered. Busyness can distract us from noticing how influenced we are By values opposed to God. And as I wrote, without rest, we unknowingly identify ourselves with what we do rather than who we are. And as I read this post from a year ago, I was like, preach. I was like, wow, that's powerful. (laughs) Why am I sharing all this? Um, I'm sharing all this because during this COVID 19 pandemic season, um, we have been given all of most of us we 've been given this luxury called time. A lot of us have been given a lot more time for most of us commute time has been cut down as we work from home. Um, our options for extracurricular activities like going to the gym or going to the movies have been truncated, and we just have a lot more time um, overall for many of us. With time comes an opportunity for rest. And with all these activities being shaved down, this season we've been left to ourselves. And uh, furthermore, not only have we been given time, furthermore, uh, because of the global death toll rising daily in our face, where we are just surrounded by the news and the numbers of death all around. It's caused us to evaluate life. It's caused us to really uh, put into focus the things that really matter and the things that really don't. And if if you haven't already, during this season, this is an opportune time for introspection. If you haven't already, at this time, it is a time to seize, a time where we're invited to proper, healthy rest in a time of introspection. I know that with everything going on with the news and, and, and social media and all these posts and opinions and good things to read about, I know it's natural and it's right to be aware of the things that are going around us. It's natural, and, um, it's natural to, to read upon, read upon things and, and know what's going on on a global scale and think outwardly. Um, but as people of faith, as, as followers of Christ... It is really important to know actually what's going on, not just on the outside, but on the inside. On the inside. Um, We need to be sharp in both extrospection, if you will, external awareness, but also introspection. This message is actually about introspection, looking into our hearts. Um, Yeah, during the season, I believe that God is, if he hasn't already, I believe that God is really uncovering The idols of our hearts. Much like I had experienced last year. I believe that God is uncovering our dependencies. He's exposing these things. He's revealing our crutches. He's revealing all the things that can be shaken in our lives. He's bringing bringing us back to the rock in which we should stand. He's exposing the the foundations of of sand that we've been standing on in this season. And I believe... With all my heart that he is inviting the church he is inviting every single one of us to really get right with God he is inviting all of us to align with God, to search deep with him, deep within our hearts, and come to him humbly uh, pastor uh, susie she she asked us one question a couple weeks ago she asked this really sobering question in the end of this COVID-19 season, do we really want things to get back to normal? Do we really want things to get back to how it was? And she mentioned, is it not God's mercy that we've been been given this window of time where we can search within and seek the Lord's face? At the end of this season, whenever the end is, um, at the very least, I really pray that we should desire the revival of the heart, the revival of the heart. We want our hearts to be humble at the end of all this. We want our hearts to be tender. We want our hearts to be guarded. And when I read upon, when I think, uh, um, when I'm just opening my ears and my eyes to what the global church is, is saying and what God is speaking to the global church, there's a common thread, there's common themes that we need to be awakened to as well. And these common themes are themes of consecration, of repentance, of of purity. These common things um, are things that I believe that God is inviting us into. I believe that God is bringing revival. I believe that God is bringing revival nationally. I believe God is bringing revival in the church. But that revival has to start with our hearts. It has to start with the individual. And for this to take place, we need to understand the importance of what I'm going to be preaching on today. And that is repentance. Today I'm going to be preaching on repentance. And the title of the sermon is The Gift of Repentance. The Gift of Repentance. Um, so I'm going to read today's passage. It's Romans chapter 1, verse 28. Verse 28. All the way to chapter 2, verse 4. And we don't have it on the slides for you, so if you can turn there in your Bibles. I'm going to be reading from the ESV. And before I read this portion, a little background is Paul is talking about us, people that are blatantly refusing to believe in God. He's talking about heathens and pagans who are blatantly um, sinning against God and causing others to sin, and they don't have any conviction. And then he's shifting over to Christians, the Roman church. Because the Christians are pointing to these heathens and being like, I'm glad I'm not like them. And Paul is confronting and rebuking their judgmental hearts. So that's what's going on here. Let me read it for us. Romans chapter 1, verse 28. It says, And since they, the heathens and pagans, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with a manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Inventors inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Chapter 2. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man. Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Verse 3, do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Amen. So as I shared a little bit of background of what's happening here, in the Roman church. is Paul is speaking to Roman believers. And they have fallen into a trap. And they have fallen into the trap. Of comparing themselves. And their standing with God. They have placed themselves. Next to heathens. And non-believers. Heathens and those who practice lawlessness. They've measured thems- themselves up. Against these pagans. And that's a trap. Because this kind of pharisaical spirit can also be heard in luke chapter 18 verse 11 and and hear the heart of the pharisees when they say this line the pharisee says god i thank you that i am not like other men robbers evildoers adulterers or even like the tax collectors they feel better about themselves compared to others but they fail to measure up themselves against the holy god Their eyes come off of God, and then they look externally to other human beings. Paul is directing the Roman believers to pay attention to one's own standing and own relationship with God, rather than examining the life and choices of those around them. In short, God is saying through Paul, stop looking outward and start looking inward. The yeast of the Pharisees must be detected in every single one of us. Isn't it easy to notice the sinfulness of other people? Isn't it easy to notice the faults and the shortcomings of those around us? It's easy to judge and criticize and point fingers and assume that we are better, but this passage reminds us that we are no better. We deal with the same sin. Paul reminds us that we are no better. All of us have sinned. The Bible says that all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us are plagued and infected by this sin. And all of us, whether pagan or Christian, have been invited to repent. Verse 4 is the focus verse I want to zone in on. It says, Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? When I read this, the question that comes to mind is this past Passion Week, as, as we reflected on the suffering of Jesus, the suffering servant, and the journey to the cross, and remembering the sacrifice of Christ and the love of Christ, have the reflections of Passion Week Translated to how we see others and how we see ourselves. Has the riches of his undeserved grace and mercy cultivated hearts that are poor in spirit within us? Has the extravagant love of Christ humbled us? If there's anything that we should walk away with as we park at the foot of the cross and remember all that Christ has done for us, if there's anything that we should walk away with, it's a heart of humility. It's the way that we see one another. All of us have been saved by grace. It says here, do we presume, is there entitlement in our hearts? Are we ungrateful, or dare I say, have we been spoiled with the gospel? Have we been spoiled with the gospel? I'm reminded of this song by Misty Edwards. She says, I've been singing it all week in the office. It says, she she says, straight up raw, she says, You owe me nothing, Lord. I deserved hell. You owe me nothing, but you've given me mercy. And she loops that again and again. You owe me nothing, God. I deserved death. You owe me nothing, but you've given me mercy. And she goes on to say, So praise the Lord, O my soul, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul, praise the Lord. So repentance, what is it? Repentance is a change of mind, it's a change of direction. It's a change in the inner man that leads to a change in action. It's going one way and turning from something. And not just turning away from something, but turning to something. Turning to God. The, first wor- the words that John the Baptist preached in public and the first words that Jesus started preaching in public, the first words that are said, both of them said the same thing. They said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, they were saying, you know, for a lot of us, when we think the word repent, we joke about this in the office too, we're like, we say it with a certain tone. We're like, repent, you know, repent. Like like, like God is driving you to repentance. But actually, what, what they're saying here is, turn to God. Turn away from your own ways. Turn from self-dependency. Turn away from the things that you depended on. And turn to freedom. Turn to the one that gives the fullness of life. Turn to the to the one that gives joy. Turn to the one that offers abundant life. That's what's hidden under that, underneath that word, repent. Turn away and turn to. Turn away from the things that bring bondage and turn to that which gives life. That is repentance. And there's certain points that I want, to, I want to mention here when I, as I preach about repentance here. And Martin Luther, he said this profound statement that I will never forget. As he nailed the 95 Thesis onto that door in Wittenberg, within that 95 Thesis, he said this short phrase. He said, all of life is repentance. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. All of life is repentance. Repentance. Let me expound upon that. He said, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentant. All of the Christian life is repentance. What does he mean by this? He's saying this Repentance is not just a one time decision when we come to Christ and choose to follow him, it's not just a one time decision when we become a Christian, but repentance is actually an everyday invitation to turn away from ourselves, to turn away from our world, and align with God's heart and His ways. John Piper calls repentance the daily substance of Christianity, a continual posture before the Lord. You know, the reason why repentance is so crucial, it's so critical for believers um, it's because of the influence of sin nature, our flesh. Even Apostle Paul, let me read this. And I want you to try to feel the anguish and, and, and the grief and, and just the frustration of Apostle Paul's heart. He says in Romans seven fifteen to 20, even Apostle Paul, he says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And, and if I do what I do not want to do, I, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Can you feel just the human experience, as I like to call it, in Paul's heart? Paul, in his theology, in his teaching, He he does say, all of us are righteous. He calls us saints. There's There's this ongoing debate, am I a saint or am I a sinner? And I will go on to say that we live in a period of time, this already not yet time, where God sees the end from the beginning. God sees us and He sees a saint. But not yet, as in we're still being sanctified, we're still wrestling with this sin nature within us. We are saints who sin. Paul recognizes that here. He says that there's a battle going within. There's a sin nature within me. That's why Martin Luther saying, all of life is repentance. Every day, as that song says, I'm so prone to wander. I'm so prone to leave the God I love. Have you ever fallen into sin and, and was so... Addicted to certain habits. And have you ever recognized that? And has there ever been an experience in the anguish in your heart is, as Paul is saying, why do I keep doing the things that I don't want to do? Why do I keep struggling with these same things? Why do I feel like I don't have victory over certain areas of my life? And let me tell you, brother and sister, if that anguish is in you, if that wrestling is in you, praise God if that fight is in you, praise the Lord. Because it means, I just want to encourage you, deep within your heart is because you really love God. Deep within your heart because you honestly love God. But there is this war within. All of life is repentance because of two main things. Two main things. One is our depravity and two, God's faithfulness. Let's get into this. We need to focus on two things here. Our sinfulness, as Paul talks about, and God's faithfulness. Let's start with our sinfulness. We must not be naive to the reality of our sin nature. Let's not be naive. It's there. Psalm 51.5, it says, Behold, David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And earlier I said in Romans, All have fallen short of the glory of God. All are sinful. And to God, it's all the same. But then here, our depravity. And then the other side here, which is the enormity, the extravagance, and the massiveness of God's mercy and His faithfulness. Matthew nine thirteen says, "But go and learn what this means: I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners." Ephesians two four through five it says, "But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace." you have been saved. And I love this. In Micah 7.18, it says, Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? And check this out. He says, You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. Did you hear what prophet Micah said. God doesn't just show mercy because he has to, to match his character or whatnot. It says he delights to show mercy. Why does God enjoy? When's the last time that you and I have felt delight in showing mercy? God alone can delight in showing Mercy. Because of the way that he sees you and I, we are his children. Repentance, if we can just open our mind's eye and just imagine, just picture this in your mind. Repentance is when our depravity and our sin is met with his tender and sweet mercies. This beautiful collision is where repentance takes place. So when we repent, we bring our sin before God and it collides with His extravagant mercy in which He delights in showing. That's where we repent because of His kindness. So what does this do to our hearts? When, we, when repentance becomes an everyday spiritual discipline, as Martin Luther says, when this becomes a reality where we turn to God every single day, what does this do to our hearts? It humbles us. It makes our hearts tender. It helps us cling to Him. And it cultivates what Jesus is teaching His disciples. It cultivates a heart that is poor in spirit, bankrupt in our own ability to change ourselves, but utterly clinging to to the power and goodness of God. I want to show this diagram on, this, on the screen. A very simple diagram. And if you look at this screen, as we go on with life, there's a, there comes a time where we come to meet Christ and when we first encounter that, that revelation of Jesus, the revelation of the cross. And that cross is so sweet to us And as we move on life as believers, as things happen, as we discover things in our hearts, we realize more and more that as we grow in a deeper and deeper knowledge of God's holiness, and at the same time, a deeper and deeper knowledge of our sinfulness, what begins to happen? Christ is magnified our need for the cross, our gratefulness for the cross begins to intensify, begins to grow. And that's where we grow in humility in our hearts. That's where repentance is seen as such a gift. But the thing is, the unrepentant life, which we're so prone to, the unrepentant life is a life that is unaware of our sinfulness, and unaware of the holiness of God is where, when we are not growing in the revelation of these two things, the holiness of God and our sin nature, when that happens, we begin to depend on ourselves and we become self-righteous. And let's look at this next slide right here. In this next slide, what we see is that when we are not growing In the knowledge of God's holiness, and not growing in understanding of our sinfulness, what begins to happen is that the dependence on the cross, the importance of the cross, does not magnify. When we start growing, when we don't grow aware of God's holiness, look what you see here. We fall into mechanics of religion. We fall into moralism, self-justification legalism and pride because God is not becoming greater. We are becoming greater. And also at the bottom, if we're not growing in our, the awareness of our depravity, what happens? We get swallowed up in guilt, in fear, in shame. And if we could show the previous slide once again, the, the cross must become more and more sweet to us. More and more sweet to us. And this puts a whole new meaning on Lamentations 3.22 and 23. It says that the steadfast love of the Lord, the hesed love of God, the loving kindness of God, never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It doesn't mean that God's love and mercy resets every morning and to cover the sin of the previous day. What this verse is talking about here is that the kindness of God never ceases. All of life is repentance and that is a gift because of this verse, because His steadfast mercy, His kindness never ceases. Repentance is such a gift. It's such a gift. I'm reminded of the story of the prodigal son. It's such a great example of when the prodigal son, he sinned against his father and he falls away into shame. Where does he end up? He belongs at the king's table, but he's groveling in how shame is personified. He's groveling in the pig pen. He's eating the food of the pigs and he's thinking about this speech that he's going to say to the father. And he's feeling all this remorse for everything he has done. And then he makes an attempt to go to the father. What do we see here? We see the kindness of the father. We see the kindness of the father running toward him. His loving kindness throwing himself on the neck of his son, of his filthy son. We don't hear, we don't hear in the Bible what happened to the son. But we do know that he's taken his place again with the ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, a robe upon him. We see here, and I believe that the son has transformed. And the son has transformed not because of shame, not because of remembering the things he ate in the pig pen. He has repented, turned back to the father and the destiny that the father had for his life. Why? Because of kindness. It was the motive of kindness. I'm also reminded of the comparison between Judas and Peter. You see, Judas, when he sold out Christ, he was in deep remorse and shame and it led to his death. But Peter, after he was wallowing in shame, what happens? After Jesus resurrects, he says, come here. What does Jesus do? He says, have breakfast with me commune with me be with me and do you guys see peter's repentance his life transformed forevermore after that because of the kindness of jesus the kindness of jesus repentance is not only a gift it's a relational and selfless act And I just want to say this, repentance should not be rushed. It's a real relationship. Repentance is a relational act, and it's a selfless act. And genuine repentance, it takes time. It's actually selfish to want to make things right just to preserve peace. It takes time to realize and to grieve. And it's not that we should wallow in shame but we must let the gravity of our offense sink in because that's love. We can view sin as a failure of performance rather than a failure of intimacy. The only grief we experience is disappointment in our ability to do what is right. And, you know, I, I have experienced this and many of you guys know, uh, my girlfriend is Pauline. She's right here in this room right now. And, um, I've gotten permission for her uh, to share this, but you know we've been dating for more than a year now, and you know in the beginning, as we're finding out um, the ugly parts of ourselves through this relationship, what we what I'm realizing is actually in the beginnings when we when we fight and when we argue and we try to reconcile and work through some things, what I realize is my personality. I'm such a I, I'm such a I don't like confrontation. I don't like. I like things to be at peace. I want things to be made right and fixed real quick. And I remember when I realized that I messed up or I said something that's hurtful, I say sorry really quick. But I realize as I went, as I go home after um, after we reconcile, I, I realize as I'm on my, my way home, God convicts me, and He shows me my selfishness, because I realize. I'm thinking more about disappointed about how I messed up rather than how she's hurt. And those are the time I realize when I repent, when I say sorry, I'm like, man, even in my attempts to get right, I'm so sinful. There was a time when I would I would say sorry, and even after I said sorry and she said she forgives me, even, even that right after that. As if nothing happened, I go right back real quick to, to business as usual and, and talk start talking lightly. And I remember one time she shared this wisdom with me. And she said, John, you need to give some time to let things simmer and really think about what just happened. <sighs> I was there was so much conviction there. And I was just reminded of that as I was preparing this message because with God, it's a real relationship. We can't just repent just because we want peace. We can't just repent just because of just spiritual perfectionism within. No, a lot of times when there's messages on repentance, we only limit it to that session we limit it to just that program. At the end of this message, the preacher would say, I've done this too, the preacher would say, okay, let's take some time to repent. I'm going to give you some time to repent for your sins. Go, Lord, I just repent for this, I repent for this, I repent for this. And I'm not saying it's not genuine. Sometimes we got to let things simmer. We got to let time take its course. And we got to grieve, not wallow in shame, but we got to grieve over the offense that we have caused God. We gotta grieve over the fact that my choice has affected this relationship, has affected this intimacy with God. I wanna read uh, in closing, I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 9 through 10. Paul says, I now rejoice not that you were made sorrowful. But that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. The sorrow of the world produces death. And let me tell you that the enemy will try to use shame to keep us from the gift of repentance. And I just want to say right now, if you're struggling with shame, and if something is keeping you from turning and and coming back to God and receiving His love, I just want to say this. Remember, you and I, we are not a mistake. You are not a mistake. We make mistakes, but our identity is secure. You are not a mistake. And I just want to make that clear. If there's anybody listening in on this YouTube, I just want to say that I feel the heart of the Father and I feel God saying, come back, come back home. Let's get right. There's so much life. I want to live with you. Trust me again. Will you trust in my kindness?